Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview again Dr. Ron Dick, Associate Professor of Sports Marketing at Duquesne University in the School of Business. So as a reminder, Ron has worked for 20 years in sports, including 15 years in the NBA with the Sixers and the Nets, and then five years in the NCAA. So Ron, it's great to have you again on the show. Thank you, Julian. Excited to be here with you today. Great. So uh, Ron, there's a lot to cover. Uh, first, we'll talk about Michael Jordan's potential sale of the, of the chart on it. There's a lot of talk about that. And then we'll talk about the NCAA, March Madness. And then we'll talk about the NIL and the LSU Angel Reese uh, was leading in, in NIL deals. And there's another player you can talk about. And then we'll talk about the NBA with uh, legalizing uh, marijuana. And then we'll talk about the new bargaining agreement, a seven-year agreement between the NBA and the WPA as well. And then we'll talk about the MLB, of course. Uh, and then I'd love to get your take on your favorites uh, to win the World Series. And then we'll talk about the minor league, uh, minor league because the, the players are getting a, a salary increase with a new CBA agreement. Uh, and then we'll talk about the NFL, right? Which now uh, they're open to private equity investments. And then lastly, we'll talk about European soccer uh, with a potential sale of Manchester United. And then lastly, we'll talk about Mpape, the soccer star from France, who has been named captain of the French national soccer team. How does it sound? Sounds great, Julian. Let's kick it out. Okay, great. So the, look, the first topic, uh, there's been a lot of talk about this. Uh, Michael Jordan, uh, the well-known Michael Jordan, is reportedly in advanced discussion to sell a majority of his stake in the Charles Hornets. So a potential deal uh, that could leave the NBA without a black controlling owner. That's an important point, right? So ESPN reported that Jordan was negotiating with the Hornets minority owner, uh, Gabe Plotkin, and Atlanta Oaks minority owner, Rick Snow, although the tr transaction wasn't imminent. So Jordan bought the franchise for $275 million for the Hornets. So uh, there's been talks about, you know, that he's looking to sell the team for $1.7 billion. So. What is your take on that? I think it's uh, been 13 mediocre years for Michael Jordan as the owner of the Hornets. Yep. And it seems to be rooted in the uh, sad demise of his friendship with Charles Barkley over mm -hmm. the way that he managed the team. He appears to have hired a lot of his uh, buddies and friends and yes men that uh, never questioned anything he said. And mm -hmm. when Charles Barkley brought that up he was uh very insulted by that and uh yeah. you know the truth truth hurts so just because you're a great basketball player doesn't mean you're going to be a, a successful owner as far as uh a man has the Midas touch everything he touches turns to mufflers or gold and uh this is no different 
yep. to buy something for what'd you say 275 and sell for 1.77 a billion it doesn't surprise yep. me probably what the going rate was back in 2010 and that's definitely what it is now in 2023 so yeah good for him and uh i'm sure he's not happy with his uh productivity mm-hmm. but the skill set to be an owner is different than the skill set to be a great player and that's true in coaching too so it's uh i'm happy for him if he wants to get out of the game and he's probably a little frustrated he's got his money in other ventures and uh, he'll be just fine yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, but so do you think that if, if he would have listened or if he would have hired some other executive on his team, we would not be afraid to tell him, look, just trade this guy. It's no good. Uh, do you think he would have been a, a much more successful owner, do you think? Well, like we saw in the Patriots, uh, the owner has an ego, the coach has an head coach has an ego, and the players have egos. So yeah. I know that Mike could have uh, handed the reins over to someone else and just sat back and watched. Uh, he, he really had his hands involved in the drafting of players, the trading of players, and the signing of free agents, which I think the team had failed in all three of those areas. He drafted a lot of North Carolina guys. He drafted a lot of ACC guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, everybody was afraid to tell him, uh, you know, the King doesn't have his pants on, right? I mean, it's because they they get fired. So I think that's fair. I really do. Uh, he was not successful in uh, in the Washington Wizards either. So yeah. when he partly involved with a Poland, so it's uh, it's probably frustrating point for him, and uh, he just wants to get into something else. Yeah, I mean he's also a team owner, I think, in NASCAR, right? He owns a NASCAR team, so he's got yes. a bunch of other ventures. So he had uh, some motor- motorcycles. I know he dabbled in motorcycles. Uh, has a team there, so he's going to be fine. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, not, not worry one bit for him, you know. Um, so, uh, hey, uh, the, the second topic, uh, let's talk about the NCAA, uh, the Final Four. So there was an interesting stat that came out uh, a few days ago, uh, basically saying that the men's Final Four ticket prices were down 91% as the women soar in, you know, this year. So, uh, so basically the average price tag for a seat to the men's Final Four which was featuring Saturday matchup between Florida Atlantic and the San Diego State. Um, the price was about, the average price was about 234. Uh, that ticket price is nearly $97 less than the woman's average final four seat the price, which is at about 331. So, uh, however, the surging ticket price for the women's competition is backed by a jump in viewership numbers. Uh, with uh, Iowa Elite Eight contest against Louisville, drawing a record audience of 2.5 million people watching it. So, what's what's your take on um, ticket price uh, fluctuations, you know, between the men and the women? Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here, and yeah. I by no means want to uh, diminish the great accomplishment by the women's uh, side. Their building, they the building that they played was a building that the Dallas Mavericks played in. So you're yeah. talking about a place that holds uh, 20,000 people. Yeah. And the fact that they can sell that out or come close to selling that out is awesome. All four teams were land-grant schools. That would be Iowa, University of South Carolina, Virginia Tech, and LSU. And uh, when you combine that with 
the fact that they're all land grant schools and the listeners might not know what a land grant school is. That yeah. means it is one of the original universities in that state, you know, going back in many cases to the 1800s. So they're really large schools. So that that really worked out well for them. The you had a star player uh, in in Iowa's uh, Caitlin Clark, who ha- they have all the rights. Uh, the NCA uh, is given to the ESPN, so all the games were on ESPN up until I think the Final Four. Yeah. And for them to go to head to head with uh, LSU and this Angel Angel Reese, I thought that was really good. And um, you know, Except it was- maybe when she was making get you know the the thing that would happen at the end, right, with the other player. I think it was a bit, yeah, you know, controversial, right? But. Yes, there's a lot of uh, talk about that on social media right now, where they were mm-hmm. like, their hands over their face, like, you can't see me or you can't guard mm-hmm. me. And that Angel Reese was uh, not exactly a gracious winner when she pointed at her ring. I'm getting a ring mm-hmm. in here. Not. But, you know, I, I think we we have to be forgiving a little bit. I mean, these are 18 to 22-year-olds. 23 year olds and uh they're both great players they're both probably going to play in the WNBA and yeah. uh fortunately the way you know to rub it in somebody's face like that but at the same time uh you know Caitlin was <laughs> doing that earlier in the game but not yeah, yeah. as a player she was doing it more with her teammates so yeah that that's getting a lot of pub a lot of publicity so uh coach uh Mulby uh, this is her fourth championship. She's the head coach at LSU. She won yeah. three with Miller. And, uh, you know, she built it primarily on transfers. Uh, Angel Reese is from Maryland, University of Maryland, for two years. And so are some of her teammates. So, you know, they did it. It worked out well. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for them. And uh, that worked out well for, for, for women's basketball. The one thing that goes unnoticed, the committee – focuses on something called the boy bracket and it's mm-hmm. Gino Moriyama and all the head coaches for the men, any, any man that's a head coach, it seems like somehow, some way they end up in Gino Oriema's bracket. So what that guarantees is three female head coaches in the final four plus the Gino bracket. So that's kind of an interesting concept to do that yeah. on, on, on the men's side, they're playing at Texas uh, where the uh, Houston Texans play, and they uh, they ended up uh, that's a billion that holds upwards to seventy thousand people. So what we have there is we have uh, four teams: San Diego State, we have Florida Atlantic, UConn, and Miami. Yeah. Uh, not as big. UConn's a pretty big school. Uh, but at the same time, they're not land grant schools. They're a little further away. I think some of those tickets were purchased in advance when we thought Texas, Baylor, and Houston might be going to the Final Four. So imagine if those three state, uh, Texas schools had made it, probably you'd have a better enrollment, but uh, you know, better attendance. But uh, it's really exciting. I uh, I thought that was a great game to watch uh, the women's final yesterday, and. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens tonight for the men's final. And what do you think is going to win the men's final? What's your take? I think it's going to be a great game, but I'll take UConn. And, you know, there, there's a uh, there's a backstory there with Danny Hurley, and it just shows you some of the depression he went through. 
Uh, I was at a game back at the Philadelphia Spectrum, and people remember the Christian Leitner jump shot against Kentucky. Yeah. Al Mashburn had fouled out, and Rick Pitino was the head coach of Kentucky. Coach K was at Duke. Well, 48 hours earlier, Danny Hurley, who was point guard for Seton Hall, played against his brother, Bobby Hurley, from Duke, and they went head-to-head in, in one, one moment. And their parents were there, and I can't imagine how emotional that was for them. But Bobby, who's the head coach at Arizona State, he was much more successful than Danny. And Danny quit basketball. And then finally he came back and uh, got involved in coaching and did a really nice job at Rhode Island. And he parlayed that into the uh, UConn job. So it just shows you should never give up, right? You got to keep moving forward. So, yeah, it's going to be a great game tonight. And, um, you know, uh, it could go either way. The, both stories are a really good story. You know, yeah, it's, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I wasn't born and raised in this country, but when I moved to the States 20 years ago, I was always been amazed by how people love college basketball. They just love watching it. And because I wasn't, I didn't go to school in the in the States, I can't really relate, but I'm just, I feel like there's more, more passion for college sports than there is for professional sports sometimes. Yeah, college football is huge. College basketball is huge. And we're talking billions of dollars. Uh, what was it? One point one six billion yeah. for the March Madness uh, money. Uh, that's what the TV rights were worth on True Station, TBS, CBS, and TNT with Charles Barkley and the guys doing it. Uh, so it was. Um, it's been a great thing. I mean, again, we know. I know guys that take off work on Thursday and Friday, mm-hmm. and just home and just bounce back and forth with all the. Uh, with all the channels and just watching all the, the games and they stagger them. So if you have all four channels, you can, you can almost count on a basketball game being exactly two hours, two hours and 10 minutes. And then you can, cause they make the timeouts a little bit longer, take care of those sponsors. And you can go right into, uh, right into the next game, the next day, especially if it's exciting. So yeah, th- there's truly nothing quite like March madness. And uh, I think we've said earlier that, March is a, a wonderful month to be a sports fan. You got your NBA and your NHL getting ready for the playoffs. Yeah. You just off the Super Bowl, you now have you now have a exciting time with the NFL draft and who's gonna get my team being better. Yeah. And you've got baseball starting up and the weather's breaking and it's a very optimistic time, March. Yeah, it's great to be a sports fan, that's for sure. Um so hey, uh next topic we kind of we kind of talk about um it is um, Angel Reese, right? The the star. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting with her is that she's not just leading her team. I mean, she won the final four, but she's also leading the in, in the entire sports in the Neil deals, in right. terms of Neil's, right? So um, she, uh, I think she's inked a total of seventeen Neil deals, according to a report. Uh, now, only four other Division One athletes have more than her. And none of them play basketball. So Reese has an estimated earnings potential of 392,000, which ran six across Division One women's basketball. And she previously said her nil earning uh, topped the value of a WNBA contract. Anyway, so what is your take on on uh, Angel Reese and her leading in terms of nil? Well, the uh, the WNBA contracts over the summertime is when the leagues play, not the wintertime. Yeah. I think they're capped at about 200000 
and uh, the you mentioned she was making a little over 300 but the number one nil athlete to my knowledge is a TikTok sensation gymnastics borderline uh, definitely olympian type level her yeah. name is olivia dunn and she okay. also is from lsu and she you know she's really very popular amongst uh, the younger college guys and you know they're they're taking billboards and pretending they're having dinner with her sitting at the table i mean the chanting and the cheering at the gymnastic stuff has has really um gotten to the point where it's a lot about her but uh she's got a, w millions of followers and that's where the sponsors want to be right so they're yeah. willing to pay her more one of the and i think that's all great and i think it's great that uh, the women are getting as much in some cases more than the men in the nil deal which i think some people did not anticipate that happening but you've got to have a strong TikTok following, some sort of uh, social media following to get that, and uh, and she's got it. So yeah. I think that's uh, that's a great thing. I really do. I I think it's it's something that uh, they don't always know how much money they really are getting. Number one, because as any of us know in this country, and I know Norway, Denmark, and Sweden is much higher. You know, fifty percent. Now, 40 to 50 percent of that money is really not yours. And then what's happening in is uh, you're getting the 1099 and yeah. that's being home to mom and dad because we have your Social Security number. Mm -hmm. And you what in college, doesn't mom and dad do your simple tax form? And dad's like and mom's like, hey, we got to pay. We got to pay Uncle Sam on this. Like it, mm -hmm. this is not completely free. Yeah. Yeah. Thought I was getting so many hundreds of thousands. No, you're you're like incorporated here. I mean, you're you're like an entity. Yeah. You're a you're a brand. You're an influencer. You're a TikTok wonder. And I don't know that some of the young people in college realize that that is taxable income. And then number two, you have to work for it. If they don't just hand it to you, you may have to do personal appearances. You may have to do different criteria that's due. And uh, they're kind of surprised about that a little bit, too. So there's a lot going on. It's the wild, wild west. Uh, things are evolving. But uh, certainly, I think it's great that they're uh, they're all making some money. I think you made a good point about the, the fact that they got to pay taxes. So I'm sure in some cases, you know, they got all that money, thousands of, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But then they end up spending it all. And they don't have any money aside to pay the taxes on it. That's and that's why they should put half of it in the bank right away, if not yeah. more. To, to, yeah. And then sometimes they don't tell their parents about it. And then every, yeah. for, for a couple of weeks of January, something comes to the house with their name on it. It's a 1099 because the taxes weren't taken out up front. So, uh, again, it's evolving. Some of the universities are trying to... Uh, call these things collectibles that we can keep track of it. So we can yeah. just to Indianapolis, this person got this, this person got that. And we have the mechanisms in place to make everybody aware of that. Uh, one of the other things uh, not mentioned in, uh, so far about the final four that we were talking about, do you know there were no freshman starters in the final four? I didn't and it know. Just, it yeah. just shows you how it's become more of a 22, 23 year old men's league uh, for the guys. And uh, you know, someplace like Duke, you're going to a freshman kid, 18, 19 years old. You're like, you know, you're a McDonald's All-American and I eat at McDonald's. I'm from Tennessee, but, you know, I'm seven foot tall. I'm going to just beat you up for 40 minutes. Yeah. And 
and then Tennessee beats Duke. So this whole extra COVID year has suppressed some of the opportunities for freshmen, obviously not the McDonald's All-American guys, but it's uh, suppressed some of the JUCOs. And the porthole is just exploding already. They just yeah. announced uh, when the bids came out on March 12th, uh, you can now enter the porthole and the portal, excuse me. And uh, what do we got? I think we got over uh, 600 people in, in it right now. And it's mm-hmm. a very thing to get part of. The, the teams don't even question it. You just, you know, here it is. And hopefully you go eligible right away to be able to play. You're in good academic standing at your current university, and they reward that team for keeping you eligible and you keeping yourself eligible, and then you can go and play right away at the new place. So I do like that about Indianapolis, that uh, it's quick, it's easy, it's painless, and uh, you can't fight it anymore like they used to, and uh, that just wasn't right. But uh, it's going to, you know, we're just getting started. I think you got at least 60 days from March 12th to announce whether you're going to transfer or not. Yeah. I think it's a great tool. Yeah, definitely a great platform for lots of student athletes. So, um, so hey, uh, next topic, right? We talk about basketball, but let's talk about the NBA. This, mm-hmm. There was, I think, well, a lot of announcements, but one of them was that the NBA is legalizing and as we know, some players, I won't name names of players, but, you know, they're very much into that stuff, right? So I'm sure it's great news for them. Uh, and then the second topic is uh, there's been um, a new bargaining agreement, uh, a seven-year agreement uh, between the NBA and the NBA Player Association. So what is your take on those two events? Uh, there's a lot to unpack there, as we say, but uh, the situation with uh, the seven-year deal there is an opt-out year for either the players union or the owners um, and um, they can after the sixth year so it may end up being a six-year deal we're not sure but hey who knows let's be optimistic and say it's seven yeah the way original deals are structured and and i'm trying to find out more about what uh what's in the details but the one thing I think that's remaining is you cannot go from high school right to the NBA. Uh, you can't do what Kobe did, Kevin Garnett before that, and uh, LeBron did you know, right right into the NBA. And that, of course, the older players in the NBA like that because they get an extra contract year or so. And the NBA likes that, the, the owners, because they get the free marketing of, of the players their first year in college. Mm-hmm. So it works out for both sides. Historically, the agreement is 53% of the gross revenues, and they argue what percentage that's going to be, and and I'm talking about like one-tenth of one percent, they argue, over must be spent on player salary. And we call that the BRI, that's basketball-related income. So we have some new items that could be in the basketball-related income that might not have been in the last negotiation, such as the uh, esports every single NBA team has at least one esports team and that revenue stream will that be part of the BRI that's something I have to look closer into the mm-hmm. gambling situation has exploded that's something that 10 years ago you would have said wow we're going to have a team in Vegas for hockey we're going to have a, a team in Vegas for for football like why isn't there an NBA team in Vegas? Everybody knew that they would could support it. Everybody knew it's a transient city uh, that that 
that would work there, but we weren't, we were reluctant to take that risk of getting too close to the gambling thing. Well, that, that doesn't matter now. Uh, that's not a problem at all. Then yet another one called the NFT, the non-fundable tokens. That, that is something that like the new type of baseball or basketball cards. Mm-hmm. And that one thing that I don't think we've talked about you and I, that not only is the is basketball expanding into Europe and it's been there for years mm-hmm. and it's been in China, you know, Michael Jordan of China, of course, is Stefan Marbury from uh, Georgia Tech in New York City. Yeah. He actually played over there for many years and is their, their Michael Jordan. But you know what? It's NBA is getting extremely popular in Japan and they would love to get like the new Yao Ming of Japan because that money will be uh, very attractive for television. And that's another revenue stream. International TV money is something that you have to spend on players' salaries. So Japan, though it's the, the island is the size of Idaho, slightly larger than Idaho, it is in the G20 gross national product, certainly the G6, G7. And, uh, you know, there, there's money there. And if they're, they're interested in it, then you can imagine the TV ratings there. So, yeah, yeah you have to tip your hat to Commissioner Silva. Uh, the late, great David Stern is considered by most to be the greatest commissioner in the history of uh, sports. Uh, he had a much more difficult time getting both sides together. And uh, Commissioner Silver seems to uh, have a, been uh, fortunate enough and worked hard enough to avoid any late uh, labor strike. And uh, they've had agreement for a very long time now. That makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I know you're a big uh, baseball fan, so... Uh, and I was just looking at the standings and how, so far, you know, which teams are leading and so forth. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're tracking that. But so, for example, in the American League, uh, in the AL East, uh, the Rays are. They got three wins and zero losses, right ahead of the Yankees with two wins and one losses. In the AL Central League, you've got the Twins, three wins, zero losses. The Guardians, three wins and for one losses. Then, if I'm looking at the National League. The National League, you've got the Mets. Uh, they're leading three wins for one loss. And then you also have in the NL Central League, the Cardinals, they have two wins for one loss. So, I mean, it's I mean it's very early on, right? Super early in the process. But if you had any uh, prediction, if you could make any prediction, what do you think would be in the World Series and we'll win it? <laughs> well, I mean, we've played three or four games so far of a hundred yeah, game schedule. So, to say, uh, you know, the season's like an embryo here. I mean, it's in yeah. diapers. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I think we we got to recently talk about the World uh, Baseball Classic, where mm-hmm. you had two teammates, the captain of Japan's baseball team, and obviously Jap- Japan loves baseball too. Mike yeah. Trapp, captain of the United States. He, uh, he struck out in the uh, bottom of the ninth, and I think that game was played in Miami where the uh, – Marlins play mm-hmm. and uh, wow that was like you know Casey at the bat yeah and they played for the same team the California Angels so I mean when does Artie Marino finally after he spends all this money the owner of the Angels finally get something in return I got a yeah. feeling I'm gonna go Yankees Angels Yes, that'll be the uh, American League Championship Series. And then on the other side, in the National League, I think that the uh, 
I really hope the Phillies are off to a winless start. I really hope uh, the Phillies would play the uh, Padres in the uh, NLCS, but it might be the Dodgers playing the Padres in the NLCS. And uh, let's go Angels versus Phillies, and this time the Phillies win the World Series. The Phillies, okay. Uh, I know the, uh, I think the Yankees, the last time they won the World Series was in 2009, if I'm, if I'm correct. Yeah, was they a beat, ago. and they beat the Phillies, who have, they had have played uh, before. Okay, well, they, so that's your prediction. The Phillies uh, have won the Okay, makes sense. So we'll, we'll go with that. Um, so uh, the other topic as far as baseball was the fact that minor league players, they got a salary increase with a new CBA agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you look at the details of that, so for example, the minimum salaries were raised from 4800 to 19800 at rookie ball. And then right. if I go up to that, so uh, then it will go from 17,500 to 35,800 at the AAA. Okay, so right. players right. will be paid in the off season for the first time. So were you surprised by this agreement? Uh, I think a little bit. Uh, it's so back end loaded to the major league level, but yeah. uh, you know that, that's just a working wage. I mean, uh, it's all about the signing bonus in the minor leagues. You always know who the the high, highly drafted, highly regarded players are because they're all the ones driving a nice car in the parking lot. Uh, it's a, I mean, how many thousands of people play minor league baseball and just never get to play in one game at the major league level? So mm-hmm. I think it's, I, I think it's, uh, it's fair that, uh, you know, how many guys are what we call quad A players, meaning they're better than triple A, but they're really not at the major league level. Yeah. Uh, there's quite, quite a few and uh unless they had a nice signing bonus that they banked uh you know they're they're gonna live like below poverty level yeah you know like them get get in a phone booth and they just have a place to hang their hat i mean it's all about being on the road in the hotels in some cases bus rides long bus rides and then it's just keeping the dream alive and getting to the major league level so finally we're paying them a working living wage which i think is only fair yeah, actually, one of my members from my family on my wife's side, uh, he was a minor league player. Uh, he was trying to make it to the big league, and, you know, he, he kept going from one team to another and lots of tryout, and in the end, he just kind of gave up because he couldn't make it. So well, it, it was heartbreaking for him because he was he really wanted to make it to the big league, but it's so hard, too. So It is know? so hard to be that close and have your dream taken away. Uh, and by the time in baseball, by the time you get to be 25, certainly 27, you know, yeah. quite honestly, you're a dinosaur. You know, why would they, the Cardinals are historically, uh, they bring up their players earlier. You could even jump from double A or even single A to the majors. They just brought up, they had a 20 year old guy, an outfielder on their uh, everyday roster. And hmm. uh, they bring them up quickly and they give up on you. When you hit be 25, 26, 27, if you haven't made an impact on and be on a roster, they're going to go with the younger guy, the 20, 21, yep. 22. They're going to invest their, their time, uh, blood, sweat, and tears into that guy and not the 27-year-old. So what happens is they get released, and they either get picked up or they don't, and then they go play independent baseball, which, you know, that's just one layer above uh, the Sunday church league, softball, right? I mean, so mm-hmm. – it's uh, it's hard to get that close to the AAA, and all you really are is an insurance policy in case somebody gets hurt at the major league level. So, yeah, I think to pay them thirty five thousand 
you know, around all year round. Yeah, of course they should do that. Yeah, that makes sense. That's uh, good for them. Um, hey, let, let's switch topic and talk about the NFL, right? So there's been some interesting reports saying that some NFL owners are interested in seeing the NFL join the MLB, NHL, NBA, MLS, the NWSL, and other leagues in allowing private equity firms and mm -hmm. uh, sovereign wealth funds to purchase stakes in their NFL teams, according to Bloomberg. So uh, would that make sense to you if the NFL start oh, getting the, private oh, equity investments? Yeah, it's happened before. Uh, the Green Bay Packers are structured like that, where yeah. a lot of people, and they all have a very, 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 very small piece of the team. And it's, it's a minority ownership, and it's a great way for the teams to just fundraise. Right. It's a great way to get liquid cash right away and you yeah. pay out, very, you know, a very, very little downside. So, uh, again, it's just another profit center for the, uh, the NFL owners. So I'm not surprised that that would happen. And it you get a, a little, yeah. you, get a, you get a sheet of paper that says you have part ownership and you can, you know, it's a nice talking point. We have people come over to your house for dinner or a barbecue and say, oh, yeah, yeah I was piece of the uh, of the Packers or any other team. But it's it's certainly not decision making. You know, not going to make any decisions. Mm -hmm. Or if you can afford it, right? Because that's a, that's a pretty expensive for the average guy, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then yep. you mentioned Tom Brady's jumping into the uh, WNBA. Yeah. So basically, Tom Brady acquired a minority stake in the defending WNBA champion, the Las Vegas Aces. So mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he's retired now. I'm sure he's got lots of time on his hands. So were you surprised by that, the fact that he uh, acquired a minority stake into in, a w, WNBA team? Uh, no, I'm not surprised by that. Uh, I want to get involved in a lot of different things. Minority stake, it's hard to get hurt too bad on that. Uh, yeah. To my knowledge, one of the few teams that don't have the Sugar Daddy NBA attachment are the Mohegan Sun, and uh, they're attached to a casino, uh, a beautiful 10,000-seat arena. We all know how big uh, women's basketball is in the state of Connecticut with Gina Oriyama. Mm -hmm. And now that was the Orlando miracle who had the magic. That's where that team came from. To my knowledge, uh, because there's no NBA team in Vegas, the aces are a separate entity. And uh, I would assume they're going to, they're going to play where the uh, golden Knights play, right? Where the NHL team plays. Yeah. Correct. And, you know, coming off the heels of this fantastic women's final four yeah. and the TV, excuse me, the TV ratings being so strong. Yeah. Maybe now great time to get into the WNBA and maybe this will catapult them in, into higher ratings this summer with women's basketball. Yeah. I think it's, uh, look, I think it's a, it's a growing, uh, growing lead of the NBA. So I think it makes sense for Tom Brady to do that. Right. And he's got the cash and the money and, so it should be interesting to watch. Um, hey, the last topic, uh, I love European soccer, or just soccer in general, but um, the British billionaire, Sir Jim Radcliffe, uh, is still battling with investors from Qatar to buy Manchester United, one of the best and the biggest team in Europe. Uh, he's trying to buy that from the Glazers on the brink of selling the club. So back in November, 2022, it, it emerged that the Glazer family were willing to end their controversial 17-year ownership of the club. And mm -hmm. so, uh, according to The Sun, 
the asking price, what they're asking to sell Manchester United uh, mm -hmm. is uh, uh, six billion pounds. So if that happens, right, the sale of United would be the biggest sale of a sports teams or franchise in history. That's pretty big, mm -hmm. right? Six billion pounds. So uh, what is your, I guess, what's your personal take for you? I'll give you my opinion, but what's your yeah. take on that? So the Glazer family are also the owners of Tampa Bay, right? Buccaneers. Yeah. Yeah. Tampa. Uh, the team in Europe that they own was described as the New York Yankees of ML of, uh, of the premier league. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I think so. Out I of the Dallas. That. Okay. Yeah. They sell for six a bill, billion pounds. Is that the equivalent of about 8.5 or 8 billion us dollars? Just I think the, 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 the pound and the us dollar are pretty close. Oh, it is close. Uh, okay. Very close. Yeah. A little bit more valuable, right? Yeah. So that would be the, yeah, that would absolutely be the, I've never heard of a pro team to sell for 7 billion US dollars. So, uh, you know, I, I'd like to ask you the question because I don't think all of our listeners know. Why would you describe them as controversial? Well, it what, is because what, there's been, uh, so for example, right, if you take the way that, so Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the best soccer players in the world, when he was having trouble with the head coach at Man United, uh, he wanted to, uh, he wasn't happy, he wanted to leave. Uh, that's one thing. I mean, I, I don't think the owners handled the, the situation very well. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been some other occasions where Paul Brogba, a French player, there was a controversy between him and the coach Mourinho. That wasn't handled well. Also, the fact that uh, Man United hasn't been doing well up until maybe this new coach, they were struggling and they were spending a lot of money, you know, sometimes even more than any other teams, and yet they were getting they were not getting the results. So and I think part of that maybe is because they don't understand soccer, maybe, or, you know, I don't know, but uh, I don't think their track record has been very successful. So I think for them to be open to sell the club, I'm not mm -hmm. saying it's an admission that they, they, they kind of gave up on it and they, they realized that they'd better move on to something else. But uh, I think it's, it could be a good thing. Now, whether I don't have any preferences, whether it's... Uh, you know, the British billionaire guy or Qatar. Uh, the only th one thing I would say is if it's Qatar, then you know, it's going to be interesting because Qatar, uh, the Qatar group owns Paris Saint-Germain. So now they would own also Man United. And so when they compete in the Champions League against each other, right, PSG and Man United, that could be pretty tricky, right? So but anyway, I, I don't think the track record was very successful and I'm not surprised that they're doing this. So another example of... So a star superstar player not getting along with their coach. Well, did we have that same issue with the Patriots for a little while? Yeah. yeah okay. So again, you got a lot of egos involved. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm sure they don't know anything about soccer, <laughs> but you know, buy, buying the team was, was the right decision and you got to put the, the right people in the right places. Uh, and maybe yeah. they didn't do that. They didn't get the right coach. They didn't get the right players. Uh, yeah, I mean it's, but I think for them to sell the they sell the franchise for close to seven seven billion dollars, that's a pretty good return investment, right? So from that standpoint, you know uh, how much? A, say that again. Did you know how much they paid for the team? It's a good question. I have to go back and look, but um, it's yeah, a lot less not, billion U.S. dollars for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably a lot less. So, uh, but I'm sure they would get they got a they would get a pretty a big return, right? 
Yeah, so. one of the things that's significantly different here than there is this whole relegation thing, where mm-hmm. if you don't spend enough money, this would be like if the Orioles, the Pirates, the Oakland A's, and the Arizona Diamondbacks, hypothetically, four yeah. low payroll teams in the MLB, if they finish in the bottom four, they would have to go play in the AAA. Yeah. And then the four best teams in AAA are then brought up to the Major League Baseball. Like, that's something the casual fan in the United States has no concept of. Yeah, and I, look, I, I, it's a good point. I was talking about this with somebody else the other day. And, you know, if you look at the Major League Soccer, right, the MLS in the United States, yes. like you said, uh, you know, even, you know, all the teams are going to remain the MLS, right? Whereas, in, yeah. you know, in the, champ, in the the Premier League, if you don't do well during the season, you're relegated. Mm-hmm whether it's in you know England or France or Germany and those have that has major financial consequences on the on the on the clubs sure. so i was actually reading yeah i was reading a a report that came out saying that Leeds United if they would i think uh, be re- relegated at the end of the season they would lose something like 50 million dollars and then you know then they won against the wolves one game and then they they were up like 9 million dollars i mean there were some calculations that were being done so this concept of relegation and financial losses, it's completely, uh, it doesn't exist in the U.S., right? So that's why some people argue that maybe in the Major League Soccer or maybe the, those U.S. leagues, the players, they're not as maybe sometimes motivated to really, um, you know, because there's no, there's no major consequences, right? Right, uh, right. Well, so I, this I is what it is. The selling of players and the temporary borrowing of players for a certain amount of time, we don't have anything like that either. I mean, you either you only get better three ways, right? Drafting players, trading players, and signing free agents. That's it. Yeah. There, wasn't it Bendit like Beckham uh, signed by the LA Galaxy, but he was rented out to the European League for a little while. They got some of their money back that way. Like, that's a hard concept to really embrace and understand for most of us here in the United States. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just different. It's a different system. So, you know, they have different ways of doing things. So uh, that this, this is what it this is. is. And this is why we have salary caps and we have luxury caps and you pay extra if the team want to pay more. We don't have a floor uh, except for the NFL. We have an exact number you have to spend on payroll, and that's why you have more parity. MLB, you don't have a floor and you don't have a ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And one thing also that a friend of mine, uh told me this day is that if you look at the mls the major league soccer league right the soccer league in the u.s right uh he said look the mls is looking more and more like the premier league why because they're they 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 keep i mean they've been firing head coaches in the mls more so but there's a higher turnover right staff and and coaches than there used to be whereas in the for example the premier league i mean they just keep sacking head coaches i mean it's it's You know, yeah. because, the, again, the, the financial consequences, right? The owner is the one who's money, so they have to shake right. things up, right? But in the MLS, I think there's a higher turnover now, so yes. which is interesting. So uh, because yeah. of the, the, the pressure, the pressure that the owners are putting on their team because they want to win, right? So Yeah, yes. And the other league that changes coaches uh, crazy fast is the NHL, the National Hockey League. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very competitive, very, very competitive. I mean, I mean, it's why, I mean, maybe it's the best hockey league in the world anyway. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, hey, very last topic, um, and again, it's also related to soccer. So uh, Paris Saint-Germain forward, Kylian Mbappe, which some people say is the next Ronaldo Messi, right? Yeah. Has been named as a new captain of the French national soccer team, right? So uh, okay. I'll, I'll just take that one. But basically, I think it's a big deal because, you know, he's very young. You know, he's in early 20s. Uh, there were some other players at Griezmann's who have been there for longer than he has. And it was, some people were saying he's going to be the next captain, and, and he didn't. And I think part of that is because, one, Kylian Pape and the coach, Deschamps, was very clear about that. He's very articulate. He's very, you know, he's, he's a smart guy, and he's very articulate in press conferences. And, and also, you know, when you've seen what he's done at the World Cup in Qatar, I mean, he scored like three goals in the finals, right? He carried the team. And at halftime, right. there was a video showing him like, motivating the players and say, guys, we can come back because they were down 0-2 at halftime, right? So right. I think he wants to be the guy, right, on the team. He wants responsibility, just like at PSG. So, uh -huh. and he's very articulate. You know, he's a, he's, a, he's a good guy. So I think it makes sense for him to be the new captain. And what's interesting, too, is when he, after he got named captain, during a press conference, he said, yes, I'm the captain, but Griezmann has more experience than I have so I will listen to him too, which I think was nice for him to say that, right? I, I think that's great. Uh, I wish more head coaches listened to their assistant coaches. And uh, I also think there should be uh, input from the star players. I mean, yeah. for example, this, in this uh, country, look at the way Aaron Rodgers is just playing everybody. He's playing the Jets. He's, he's playing the uh, Green Bay Packers. Like, yeah. again, these egos, are uh, they're pretty big. And they're pretty difficult. I, I really like to see, uh, and I guess I'm in that category now, but like an old head on every one of these uh, teams' benches. You know, somebody that's seen every game-ending situation known to a sporting event in that respective sport. And the assistant coaches which are getting younger and younger, or the head coaches that are getting younger and younger and getting more opportunities, and we're trying to get rid of some of the uh, the old heads. Mm -hmm. I, if I a young upstart a head coach somewhere I, I would want some a veteran and i would be hopefully secure enough to be able to listen to them but that mm -hmm. takes a special type of head coach to, to give that kind of latitude to a assistant coach in any sport yeah i think you're right uh it takes um it's not easy to do that right it's not easy to do that so uh well look we, we at the end of the podcast interview but uh as always i enjoy talking to you great insight so thanks again for for your time today thank you julian i enjoyed talking to you too and i uh, hope everybody's doing well out there in uh, podcast land all right thank you peace thank you for listening to access past episodes and other research articles and analysis of sports technology please visit our website theupside.us Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.